have a massive amount of players in the world today. And that number is growing exponentially. And when we look at how we design our products, how we write our stories and how it's displayed to the players, we have this massive opportunity to help shape how players see the world. And that is what really excites me about the world of inclusive design in games. Welcome to Lead With Your Brand, the podcast that explores exceptional career success stories, inspiring and insightful personal brand journeys that answer the question, are you coffee or are you Starbucks? Fascinating conversations with leaders about their career breakthroughs from entertainment, tech, media, and more. You'll learn how they've turned up the volume on their brand to unlock success. First-hand, uncensored, and real, as told by people who've been there, and plenty of inspiration and practical tools to help you lead with your brand every day as you drive towards your next career breakthrough. And now, here's your host, personal branding expert, diversity advocate, and keynote speaker, Jason Patria. Hey everybody, Jason Patria here, and you are listening to the Lead With Your Brand podcast, which is the podcast for folks just like you who are looking to turn up the volume, show your value, and lead with your brand to your next career breakthrough. Well, we are celebrating Asian American, Pacific Islander, and Native Hawaiian Heritage Month here on the podcast. So check out our AAPI Voices collection at leadwithyourbrand.com slash A-A-P-I. There you will hear fabulous episodes with leaders, executives, and influencers, all who identify as Asian Pacific Islander. Hear from folks like Susan Jin Davis, the social impact officer at Al Roker Entertainment, Snehal Desai, the incoming artistic director for the Center Theater Group, and Donna Fujimoto Cole, the president and CEO of Coal Chemical and Distributing. Plus, every single week in May, we'll be bringing you a brand new episode featuring an amazing person that identifies as Asian American or Pacific Islander. Today's guest is Brian Pang, Product Director at Electronic Arts. But before we talk to Brian, I want to talk a little bit about a fabulous experience I had this weekend. I had the chance to visit the world of Barbie pop-up, which is clearly all about celebrating the iconic Mattel brand in anticipation of the big movie coming out this summer. Now, let me tell you, this was a full-fledged experience of being in a Barbie dream house and driving a Barbie dream van. And really, with the tagline that I grew up with back in the 80s, which was, we girls can do anything, it was all about telling kids, you can be any thing you want, whether you want to be a scientist or a TV news anchor or an astronaut. And they had all sorts of interactive and super social type of activations. But I will tell you, I've been obsessed since I was a little kid with Barbie. In fact, I always wanted to have a Barbie to call my own. You know, I always hung out with the girls playing with Barbies because that message of you can be anything really resonated with me. 
And I always think of Barbie as this iconic brand because it's been around since 1959 and it's evolved with the times. But the interesting thing about Barbie is that it really talked about this mission to be whatever you want, but to be it on brand. Now, we can laugh and joke because Barbie's run for president, and she's been an astronaut, and she's been a doctor, and an airline pilot, and all of these different types of things. It's almost like she's trying on new clothes for a career. But when you think about it, you can do anything. Your expertise is vast. Now, while you don't want to be known as a jack-of-all-trades, you do want to be able to do different things and try on different clothes, but you want those things to be on brand. And it struck me when I was looking at sort of the history of Barbie and they had all of the classic ones that anytime Barbie had a career, it was that career plus Barbie co-branded. You see, when she was an astronaut, that astronaut uniform looked like an astronaut uniform, but it was still iconically Barbie. It had the pink B right on there, and it had different elements and accessories that made it uniquely Barbie. Even when Barbie ran for president, she wore a navy blue suit with pink trim. You see, it was all on brand for Barbie, and it made me think that's really the magic of having a great brand is you want your brand to be able to influence those things that you do and not limit you on the things that you should or could do. In fact, let's think about that in the TV space. When I worked with the folks at Bravo, they were very clear what made a really great Bravo show. But it seemed odd that the number one food show on cable television was Top Chef when it wasn't on the Food Network, the Cooking Network, and heck, it wasn't even on a home and garden channel, which was where all of those types of shows should be on those networks. But the magic to Bravo was they realized they could do a cooking show, they could do a reality show, they could do a competition show, they could even do a late night show as long as it was on brand for Bravo and produced in a uniquely Bravo way. And that's why shows like Top Chef and even Watch What Happens Live with Andy Cohen in the evenings feels uniquely Bravo, but is using and borrowing from other genres. They are making it ownable, and that's what you must do in your career. So what is your filter? What is your elements of Barbie that you can put on any career choice that you can make? What are your elements of producing signature projects that you can put on any genre just like Bravo does with their shows? Well, let's get to today's guest. It is Brian Pang, a product director at Electronic Arts. He focuses in the positive play department, leading inclusive product and player experience strategy. Now, throughout his 19-year tenure with EA, Brian has led studio and brand teams to deliver 40-plus AAA game titles across popular franchises like FIFA, Madden, NBA, UFC, Star Wars, Battlefield, Apex Legends, and more. He does this all while centering authentic, relatable, accessible, and inclusive player experiences. Through his work, Brian 
O'Brien is dedicated to driving equity and uplifting all underrepresented talent, stories, content, art, and audio across interactive entertainment and media spaces. Now, Brian also serves as a lead organizer for several community alliances and coalitions centered on advancing the Asian Canadian and American equity and justice movement. We'll be back in just a few moments with EA's Brian Pang. For over 25 years, Jason has coached, trained, and developed thousands of leaders and executives, helping them achieve their next career breakthrough. He's a featured speaker at global conferences and companies to help everyone bring their best authentic self to work, show their value, and lead with their brand every day. Get more tips and tools at leadwithyourbrand.com. And we are back. We have a fabulous guest today. It is Brian Pang, a product director at Electronic Arts, which we all know as EA. Brian, what is going on? Hi, Jason. Thank you so much for having me. Such an honor to be in your show. Happy Asian American, Native Hawaiian, and Pacific Islander Heritage Month. Also, Jewish Heritage Month and Mental Health Awareness Month. Absolutely. Well, I am thrilled to have you, Brian. I know that we met uh, a little bit back virtually when I was uh, speaking as part of the LGBTQ plus Pride Month at EA. And I have been following all of your amazing things on LinkedIn ever since. So first off, let's start out because we're celebrating uh, Heritage Month. You just came back from Washington, D.C. in the White House, right? Tell me a little bit about that. I did, yes. It was Washington, D.C., but the event was actually held at George Washington University. Um, It was fantastic. It was held by the uh, White House Initiative of uh, Asian American, Native Hawaiian, and Pacific Islanders. Um, And they held a uh, Asian Pacific American Heritage Month celebration where we actually gathered a lot of business leaders, community leaders, and um, uh, people in the public sector. And we gathered and convened and talked about various topics around economic empowerment, uh, workplace equity, uh, social justice, uh, data disaggregation, and all the things that are centered around our Asian American movement right now. Uh, very powerful, uh, well-run program, uh, as you might have seen from my LinkedIn post, uh, but definitely lots of empowering conversations and connections were made. Um, and this is a series. It's not the first, definitely not the last. Uh, we're going to keep the momentum going and, and do the real work in between these sessions. Yeah. And so, Brian, what was what was kind of the highlight of the event? I have to say, hands down for me is just seeing my good friend, Jerry Wan, who you may know, he's another podcaster, uh, being on stage and interviewing VP Harris. Uh, that was just super inspiring for our community to see. Um, really big supporter of Jerry, a uh, big fan of his. Uh, just seeing him succeed and, and his meteoric rise in the podcast world and interview world. And he's moved on to so many different great things. Yeah. And anyone who knows me, you'll know that I care about uplifting and supporting my friends and, and peers and colleagues. So that's that was definitely the highlight for me. Well, it sounds awesome. Now, I know that part of being at this event at uh, at George Washington University is all about networking and meeting folks in person, right? Like the folks that you already know, but also all of these folks from corporations and government and associations that are advocating in the space. So tell me, when you first meet people who don't know you, Brian, how do you introduce who you are and what it is that you do? 
Oh, that's a good question. I'm still working on this, to be honest. But uh, what I do say, because I tend to do a lot of things, uh, but what I do say is that I am first and foremost a an immigrant uh, to this continent. Uh, yeah. Born and raised in Asia. I have 19 years in AAA video game development and marketing operations and product at EA. Uh, I currently help lead our inclusive design strategy and our program centered around positive play. Um, I've worn numerous hats uh, throughout my time here, uh, but I'm also very keen on using games as a, a platform for social change. And um, you know, there are many pl people playing games in the world today. Uh, there are many um, uh, engaged uh, players. So this is really the next frontier for us when we talk about in-screen in representation, uh, storytelling, narrative change, all that is packed into this uh, medium, which is video games. Uh, and that also feeds into other platforms like Frontier Technology, AR, VR, XR, and uh, the metaverse, as we all have heard by now. Um, you know, There's just so much flowing through the, the industry of video games that we need to leverage it a lot more. Yeah. And and I feel like, you know, games and gaming is is kind of where it's at. I mean, it's certainly one of those uh, media platforms, right, or technologies that has been around for a long time. But but it seems like people tend to forget about it. Now, you have almost 20 plus years working in gaming. So tell me a little bit about your career. How did you even first break into gaming? Uh, that's a great question. It was uh, something that wasn't planned, uh, like many careers. But I remember going through college, and uh, you know, throughout my whole youth, I was set on becoming an astrophysicist. That Ooh. was my path. So, and it's a little unconventional. Um, it's not something that I, I you know, was was. Um, uh, really envisioning for myself being an Asian uh, with a typical Asian upbringing. Uh, what I mean by that for folks who don't know, uh, yeah. a lot of Asians are conditioned and, and brought up societally and uh, definitely generationally through through parents and, and grandparents' expectations to go work in a stable career, yeah. uh, usually as a doctor, lawyer, or something <laughs> in business, right? And definitely not an astrophysicist. Um, and so... You know, that didn't deter me as much, but it wasn't until I started um, uh, really studying it in university and college and learning more about the, the job and understanding the uh, a few of the, the struggles that a lot of the uh, real-world astrophysicists were, were facing. Um, mind you, this is way before the, the cool days of SpaceX and, uh, you know, all these amazing innovations. Uh, back then, it was literally or using some really old computer I'm yeah. dating myself too, by the way. So uh, this is in the '90s, um, but you know we're we're basically looking at uh, data all day, and uh, the software wasn't as robust as it is today. Um, and it's just the thought of not having working with people as much, and uh, you know, constantly looking for research grants, and um, there's just nuances about that role which didn't appeal to me. But also yeah. that conditioning pushed me away from that uh, career Ooh. path. Yeah, um, And so I ended up graduating from college and I didn't know what I wanted to do. So I ended up taking a uh, entry level job at Electronic Arts, um, which I thought would be a temporary role just for about a year and you know a little bit of a stopgap while I found a real job. 
Um, and 19 years later, I'm happy to say it's it's a real job. <laughs> That's what <we're> doing. <laughs> Right. And and now you, you talk a little bit about how we're so used to, you know, in API culture, right? Our parents always are kind of steering us into these, like, these uh, very strict careers, right, that have very linear paths. So, you know, astrophysicists didn't fit into that. But then what was your parents' reactions when you're like, oh, hey, now I'm now I'm gaming. Now I'm doing stuff on consoles and online games. Yeah, I mean, it was my parents, but also all my friends, right? Yeah. I just heard it, heard it nonstop for years. You know, everyone, the running joke was, oh, you're just playing games all day, right? Um, <laughs> and, you know, my parents didn't really know what I was doing. But, you know, it, it, it was, there's a bit of stigma, you know, and there still is, but it's slowly shifting away. Um, everyone imagines the, the typical gamer as someone who's, you know, in their teens, they're drinking bottles of Diet Coke, uh, they're <laughs> sitting in their parents' basement in the dark, right? Um, and really, I think gaming has really become mainstream now over the, yeah. the past 20 years. Um, there's, we've seen hockey stick growth in uh, engagement and uh, the player base. You know, we're up to 3 billion players in the world. That's roughly 40% of the world's population is playing games. Yeah. Um, and so really, there's a diverse range of, of gamers, gaming experiences, um, the stories and narratives that I mentioned earlier. Uh, but yeah, I mean, gaming is, is here to stay. It's not going anywhere. Yeah. Um, and I think people really respect the games industry at this point in time. Absolutely. And and Brian, talk to me a little bit about some of the career breakthroughs that you've had at at EA, because, you know, I, I'm like you. I, I spent 25 years at, uh, at NBC Universal, right? And it started out as like a summer job and then you stay. So you get your foot in the door at EA. What were some of those breakthroughs that got you to where you are today, where you're, you know, directing product and you're looking at inclusivity and these very strategic things? Wow. Okay. I have a few stories. Yeah. Um, I have a few. I mean, I've been around long enough that I would have a few breakthrough moments. <laughs> So I would say uh, one of them that sticks out to me was uh, when I was working uh, early in my career, I was working as a people and operational leader. Yeah. And, but my, my, at the time, I thought my passion was becoming a product leader. You mm. know, and like many young men who grew up uh, playing games, uh, coming to a games company, you know, I think that um, I was telling myself this narrative that I wanted to be a game designer. Um, and that's the reason I came to EA. Um, but as I moved up in my career and my roles were leaning towards people and operations and also project and program leadership, um, I figured, okay, so at this point I was offered a role as a design, uh, a game designer, yeah. um, offered to do it full time. I was helping out, uh, as a volunteer. Uh, so I had a decision to make at that point. And for some reason it wasn't a slam dunk to me. Mm. So I ended up working on a career journey exercise. I was prompted to go through a lot of self-discovery yeah. and through that, I learned that I very much like to help and coach people to help mm. them fulfill their potential. So uh, that decision point for me was was pretty pivotal uh, because yeah. I ended up staying in my career path as a people operational and program project leader. Um, and I've been doing that for the past 16 years or so. But the best part is I'm still uh, able to influence the product yeah. uh, in that role. So that's that's one that sticks out for me. Yeah, I have a few and Brian, too, if you want to hear yeah, that. well, yeah, but let let's simmer on this one for a second. Talk to me. What what was that moment that you realized that you really liked and were passionate about helping people and and coaching people in the space? 
Right. So um, I used to coach youth sports uh, yeah. and I did that before I came to EA. And um, the coaching youth sports is a little tricky schedule wise. Um, sometimes the, 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 um, the sessions, the practices are happening at uh, right after school hours. And then there's games that happen usually around then as well. And sometimes yeah. on the weekend, but once I started working at EA and full time, uh, it wasn't conducive to, to my, my coaching schedule. So I had to drop the coaching Ooh. and, um, it wasn't until I did this exercise, this career journey exercise, which was given to me by someone, a brilliant mind named Rachel Irvin Halliday. Uh, she now works at Amazon games. Um, this career exercise changed me because it enabled me to realize what I really, really was passionate about. Yeah. Um, and that exercise just helped me realize that it was coaching. Yeah. Yeah. And it sounds like it was a pivotal moment, right? Mm -hmm. and, and so talk to me about some of those other breakthroughs that you've had along the way. Yeah, and there are other breakthroughs, such as uh, a lot of like a lot of other people moving from individual contributor to manager to director, moving around from team to team, and also department to department. Uh, have been around my company for quite a long time. Yeah, um, and I would say uh, it's been I've been very fortunate uh, to have those experiences. Um, I think there's a quote by Christopher Morley who said that the keys to a good life are to yearn, learn, and earn. Ooh, I love that. And I've had the, that opportunity to do all those things during during my time at EA, um, and I, I, a lot of those roles are high risk with high uh, uh, amount of failure, but also yeah. high impact. Yeah, and that is to me where the growth is. Yeah. Um, so, Brian, tell me what what was one of those roles or one of those rotations that you did where there was a lot of risk and you had to kind of weigh that because there was this valuable end goal that could come out. For sure, for sure. Uh, I've been, again, really blessed and lucky to be assigned some really critical programs uh, yeah. within our company. One of them being our digital transformation um, uh, initiatives. So we had a couple back in the day. Uh, I can't talk too much about these, um, but these were definitely pioneering n things that had not been done before in our industry. Mm. Uh, and it involved a lot of uh, high stakes uh, discussions with different uh, companies and different parts of our um uh, our player, uh, our, our parties. So when it comes to working with Sony, Microsoft, um, Nintendo, in some cases, um, and other uh, organizations as well, it required a lot of coordination and a lot of business relationships. Um, and uh, this was during a period where, if you remember, a few couple decades ago now, there was a digital transformation across yeah. multiple platforms. And there were a lot of resistance to change from different groups. <laughs> and so, to me, that was definitely one of those. A lot, absolutely. <laughs> you know, we were pushing it, too. We were at the forefront of that, and we were able to drive through. And um, I'm still scratch my head sometimes at how that happened, but we we're able to make an impact. Yeah. Yeah. And now talk to me a little bit around leading inclusive product and player experience. So for folks outside of gaming, like what does that even mean? Right. So really inclusive design is, uh, we're talking about a couple of key pillars here. So there's in-game representation and there's also in-game accessibility. And uh, there's also on top of that, um, below the line representation. Mm. So uh, for a lot of people, when we think about inclusion, 
we don't always think about what happens uh, beneath the surface. Yeah. So what type of writers are we bringing in? What kind of uh, talents like motion capture artists, sound, music, um, even the programmers? Um, and these are the people who are creating the, the product and the, the games that we make. Um, so those are the three core pillars to me when we talk about inclusive design. Yeah. What's been the most exciting part around uh, working in inclusive product and player experience for you? Yes, that's a wonderful question. It's really about the opportunity to me. Um, I mentioned earlier, we have a massive amount of players in the world today, and that number is growing exponentially. And when we look at how we design our products, how we write our stories, and how it's displayed to the players, we have this massive opportunity to help shape how players see the world. And that is what really excites me about the world of inclusive design in games, is we can actively shape what what people's experiences are and what they take away from it. You know, I grew up playing games and I played games from the 90s. And these are the games that really shaped who I am, Yeah. you know, in terms of achievement and how I and take feedback and the biases that I carry um, and the biases that I'm aware of. Um, I grew up playing a lot of Japanese RPG games and mm. uh, they, they had very diverse uh, character sets. Um, and, and those are things that I carry with me into the workplace as a leader. Um, and doing the work that I'm doing today. Yeah. And Brian, I know that your passion for inclusion extends well beyond what you do uh, just for EA and the gaming industry. Talk to me a little bit about all of your great volunteer leadership that you do in the community. Yes, thank you for asking that. Um, so in my spare time, I do serve on several community organizations and nonprofits that are centered around advocacy for the Asian American equity and justice movements. Um, and I'm very laser focused on helping uh, and elevating Asians in the workplace. Um, and in other aspects, I'm also uh, keen on supporting and funding and greenlighting uh, specific projects or initiatives uh, that are all fueled around the um, the workplace and sorry workplace and social justice movements. Um, and so, yes, that is a, a key area that has really seen a lot of uptake and growth in the past few years. Uh, I, I believe that a lot of our social equity and, and uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives from a corporate standpoint have really taken off since 2020. Mm. Uh, I think most of us know um, that was also the year that was the murder of George Floyd. Yeah. Um, and that really woke a lot of people and corporations and organizational entities up. Um, and um, shortly after the murder of George Floyd, we also experienced um, what is now called the Stop Asian Hate Movement. Mm -hmm. It started with the killing of uh, a, a Thai grandfather named Vichar Ratanapakti, and that was caught on CCTV camera. Uh, and since then, many other assaults on Asian elders have been caught on CCTV uh, and then constantly posted on social media. Um, and uh, I would say everything led to a culmination of uh, a spa shooting um, in Atlanta where yeah. eight people were murdered and six of them were Asian women. And it really opened a dialogue where there was there was a debate whether this was actually racism fueled or was it not. Um, and, you know, when you're in community, we know. We know it was definitely fueled by the systemic racism towards Asians and Asian women in particular, that particular incident. Absolutely. Um, and so we, we, there's a core group of uh, Asian American leaders, uh, whether in the business 
private sector, um, in community and nonprofits and public and, and government and elected officials, uh, we all got together and we decided enough is enough. And um, we've since then, we've really built out a lot of different programs, different initiatives, different organizations have popped up. Um, and uh, in fact, there might be too many now, uh, but we need to figure out how to drive <laughs> this movement you know, much more strategically. And uh, that's, that's what I'm really passionate about is how do we really accelerate our movement? Yeah. One of my key ones here is develop an abundance mindset. Yeah. Uh, in, in our society, all our systems are built off a scarcity mindset, right? Where mm. this pie is finite and we need to fight each other for slices. And uh, it's also who gets the largest slice are then in the position to get the largest slice next time as well. Yeah. So what we need to do is we need to advocate to make larger and larger pies. And, and so, Brian, give me an example. How have you done that in your career to help build a larger pie? Yeah, so I'm very laser focused on uplifting and giving uh, yeah. to each other. Um, I believe in helping other each other learn, helping each other grow and succeed. Uh, you know, people around the world are becoming more and more close uh, with each other. So community and coalitions are more important than ever. Uh, Bill Amada, actually a titan of our Asian American community and one of your past podcast guests. Ah, of course, right? everyone love everyone knows Bill, right? We call him the OG godfather of He's our community. the OG for <laughs> real. He is. But he recently issued a community challenge for us to uplift 1 million people. Mm. And I'm so excited to do my part to fulfill that. Uh, it's a very attainable challenge if we all just did our parts. Mm, absolutely. Now, let's talk a little bit about your brand. So... How would you describe your personal brand or your professional brand as a leader, both in the community and in the gaming industry? Give me three words that you would use to describe brand Brian Pang. Wow. Okay. I might have to do three phrases. That's um, okay. So I would say it's, it's all about people, people yeah. first, servant leader, situational leader. Ooh. So people first, servant leader, and situational. So so talk to me about those. How do you see those as sort of like your calling card? Right. So I'll start with people. Um, and, and maybe that flows into servant leader. But the way I envision leadership is that a leader is here to serve their teams mm. um, and to support and unblock them uh, to create the best environment for them to do their best work. And uh, not necessarily to throw around uh, role power uh, all day and, and be an authoritarian and boss people around. Yeah. Um, and I believe that was maybe a, a misconception of leadership from previous generations. Uh, but I really learned that quickly when I was promoted to manager. I was working for a very senior engineering team at EA. Yeah. Not a chance in hell I would be smarter than anyone on that team. So I'm very lucky and fortunate to have that as my first uh, real management experience. Yeah. Well, and how keen of you to like identify that you're not the smartest person in the room, right? So instead, how can you serve to get the best out of the, the smart people there, right? right. I was definitely also the lowest paid person on that team. So <laughs> there's no role power there. <laughs> and talk to me a little bit about, you know, being a situational leader. I mean, clearly we're, we're familiar with the concept of situational leadership, but how do you embody that as sort of a tenant of your leadership brand? 
Yeah, that's a good one. So um, what I do is I lean much more towards my influential power, uh, much more so than my role power. So I do believe in developing strong relationships, networks. Um, I don't believe in being purely transactional and leaving a mm. wake behind you wherever you go. Um, so I really over-index on building relationships. Um, and I don't look at things like levels or titles, but I want to look at is contribution and ability to impact. Um, and uh, also there's a nuance of current state versus uh, potential future state. So I think it's really important to uplift, find the people who are doing the work or could potentially be doing the work um, and support and uplift them as much as possible, protect yeah. and nurture. <laughs> yeah. And so, so Brian, Talk to me, this people first, uh, servant leader, situational leader. Has this sort of always been brand Brian or how has it evolved over time? Yeah, you know, I I think it has been. I just never put a label on it. And I maybe in my head, I didn't have that that narrative as clear as it should have been. Yeah. But I always was people first and, and more servant first. Um and you know, maybe part of that was part of me uh, culturally and, and uh, uh, just being a people pleaser. Yeah. Um, and I've really learned that as well, the, the pitfalls of being a people pleaser. So I've broken out of that. I think I found a really good balance over the past eight, ten years or so. Um, and I would say, you know, for me, putting a label and, and really kind of naming what these things are, I'm going to say I learned a lot of that from you, Jason, um, especially from that talk you did with, with my company. Oh, um, thank you. Yeah, and and I've since then, since your talk, I've really learned more about branding, uh, personal branding in particular. Yeah, um, I've started to study it a bit more. Found some really great influencers and uh, educators. So, and definitely, personal branding is so important, and being able to to understand um, what it is that fuels you. So. Ooh. Well, thank you for that fabulous uh, compliment, Brian. I, I, I want to go back to what you said because it is so interesting. How is it for you? What is, what's the tightrope walk between being a people pleaser and actually being in that servant leader people first? Because it feels like, they're, like you're clear on what the difference is, but walk us through, you know, when, when do you cross the line and we're just, you know, blowing smoke? Yeah, yeah, you know, it does take a lot of trial and error to, to understand. <laughs> um, so here's what I would say is it's important to know what your values are and mm. know yourself. So building that self-awareness, uh, what fuels you um, and what your mission is. Once you're really clear on that, you will start to be able to filter. Um, so what are the things that people are doing around you? Uh, and what are you doing with, with those people? Are you looking just to please them, but without a clear um, end state or a, a clear, um, uh, you know, is it, is it moving the needle for you in terms of what your values and, and mission is? Um, so for me, I think that is a very clear differentiation between being a people pleaser versus actually actively supporting someone um, towards the, the wider mission. Yeah. And and so Brian, how would you? I know you're you're big into coaching and and serving and helping folks. How would you describe you know what your mission is in life? Oh, my mission is very clear. So I am I exist today to help others and myself drive this uh, Asian American social justice and equity movement. Along the way, we would also like to uplift our allies and make sure that all the other respective movements are also fulfilled. 
Ooh. So I love that. So that's almost that lens that you you're looking at, like what's on or off brand or what's just people pleasing versus actually, you know, really actually helping people. Correct. Yeah. I call that the razor. So once you've identified mm. that, you can use that to shave off the things that don't fit and uh, you can use that to prioritize your time. Yeah. And so what are some things over time that you've realized you needed to raise or off because they just didn't add value to your mission? Yeah. I mean, um, there are a number of, I would say some relationships even, um, but, but there are a number of hobbies uh, that I've probably shaven off. Um, there are probably a few activities that I would used to be engaged in, which didn't bring me, didn't spark that joy for me. Um, and maybe they did at one point, but they no longer do because now I, I've um, really honed in on what I really want to do. So, yeah. And that's another important thing to know is people do change, values do change. So it's important to introspect and, and adapt as we go. Yeah, I mean, it's surprising how often it's like we get into something and then we feel like we're known for something and then we're not really into it, but we just keep doing it because it's like become a habit, right? Yes, exactly. It becomes routine. And routines are great, but there's also uh, a time where routines can be broken and changed. Yeah. Now, you talked a little bit about having to maybe razor off some relationships, and certainly you don't need to, uh, to, to share anything specific, but talk to me when you think about some of those relationships that you maybe felt like they weren't aligned with you and where you were going. What was the thought process for you, and maybe how did you kind of handle you know, de-escalating a relationship when it wasn't sparking that joy or at least sparking the mission that you stand for. For sure, for sure. And and first of all, I would say it's always important to maintain relationships and, and be cordial at a bare minimum. So uh, my advice is never burn bridges. Um, but for me, it, it's also clear once you understand your values and what you're passionate about um, and, and you have that razor. Um, because... Also, part of this is because I'm aging, um, and my I know my time is finite. But what I would uh, really say is, know what know who gives you energy and who mm. takes away your energy. Ooh. And um, it, it, like I said, it becomes clearer once you have that 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 purpose, and uh, also acknowledging how much time you have left in in your life to to do things. Um, it becomes pretty simple at that point. Um, you know, if things aren't adding a ton of uh, energy or value to your mission, um, let it go. Yeah. And I guess it's that's such a great concept because I would also say, like, you can flip that and, and check yourself, right? Like, are we actually fueling and creating energy for others or are we actually a drain suck on other people's energy? One hundred percent. Yes, that is very important to be conscious of is how are you showing up to others as well? So, Brian, you work with a whole bunch of amazing brands and franchises across EA, everything from, you know, FIFA to Madden to Star Wars. For you as a gamer, what what is your favorite title or, or your favorite game in the EA portfolio? Well, my cop-out answer is I love all our EA games. Um, <laughs> but if you were Sophie's Choice. Yeah, Sophie's Choice. I am a huge fan of our MVP baseball game. Ooh. Not it, it was I'm dating myself here, but it was uh, made in 2005. Um, not only was I in it as a playable character, um, Ooh. I spent the most hours playing that game. It was just fun. 
you know, and um, it was a great team sport. It had a great soundtrack. Um, it was definitely ahead of its time with gameplay mechanics. Uh, by far one of my all-time favorite games, MVP Baseball. Yeah. And so thinking about the player experience, which you and your teams are thinking about all of the time, right? Ultimately, when we think of great brands, they're defined by these experiences, certainly in gaming by the player experience. What are some things that you and your teams think about when you're creating experience that if we thought back to people's careers, these are the types of things that we should be thinking about as we create brand experiences for the people that interact with us? Yeah. That's a great question. So we always think about, first and foremost, we think about having fun. It has mm. to be a fun experience. That's the core of any game. Uh, but then we also want to make sure that the games are fair um, and equitable. So, And part of that is, is what fuels accessibility. Um, but we definitely want to make sure the games can be uh, consumed and uh, all various players of different backgrounds and different demographics and, and different levels of, of capability can experience it in the way uh, that they want to and that they experience it to the fullest uh, potential. So uh, we not only do we want to make sure that there's a wide range of selections and options and customizations, um, we also want to make sure that the game is, is fair. Um, mm. So we don't want to have an unfair advantage. Uh, you probably, we've all probably played games where there's like some sort of a cheat and if you're playing against your opponent, and they cheat, then it's it's just no fun, yeah. Um, right. So, and you you figure out how to use the cheat, and then what kind of game are you playing at that point? Um, <laughs> yeah. So those are the key ones for us. Absolutely. So, uh, so I have a couple of fun, quick questions to close out with. So, Brian, we've been talking uh, about your brand. What is your favorite consumer brand? Uh, outside of gaming, right? What is it? Some, what's a brand that you can't live without? My favorite brand right now is uh, a software called Notion. Ooh, uh, I haven't heard of that. Yeah, Notion's wonderful. It's a note-taking app, but it also helps you organize your thoughts and builds your to-do lists in a beautiful way. It's very robust. It has different features and functionalities. And it's most importantly, it's Asian-founded and operated. Ooh, I love that. Now, Brian, tell me, if you were a type of car, what type of car would you be and why? Well, um, I would be probably a Tesla, um, mm. mainly because I have one gear and it's <laughs> very, very fast. And um, it's also uh, energy efficient and it's also good for the environment. Um, and it's very affordable. Ooh. And so, Brian, finally, what's the best career advice that you'd like to pass on to our listeners? Yes. So first and foremost, develop your self-awareness. Mm. So really find out that fuel. Like, what are you most passionate about? Your values. And then use that to inform your personal brand and how you prioritize your time. Um, another one I would say is ask for things. Uh, Deb Liu, the CEO of Ancestry, she says a closed mouth does not get fed. Mm. So speak up, you know, ask for that project or that promotion, uh, even if you don't think you're the right or perfect candidate. Uh, it's okay to get a no, but what matters is what you do afterwards and how do you then transform that into a yes later. 
So, Brian, I know, obviously, we're celebrating, you know, um, API and H Heritage Month. And culturally, that's something I know even like my dad, right, was like, you know, when you go to work, like, don't ask questions, like, just do what you're told and like, that'll be rewarded. So talk to me about like, when we grow up with some of those cultural norms, how do you sort of balance that? Like, I've got to ask for things. And how have you like advocated without feeling like it was so outside of, you know, what we grew up with? Yeah. Um, you know, we, we are grown, we do grow up in a bit of a matrix where, you know, we're given this path and we're being told how to operate in it. Um, and so anyone who kind of breaks that matrix, I have a lot of respect for, and we mm. need more of that, frankly. Um, but the best way is um, really uh, build, start with building the relationships, you know, build the relationship with the managers, uh, the, the leaders of your organization, your peers, and just show up, show up in the best way you can. Um, and if you do that and you're building great relationships and asking for feedback, you will know if you're in a position where you can ask for things or not. Um, and so intuitively, once you're at that point, um, you will know kind of what approach to take, what, um, how aggressive and, uh, you know, when to pull back your requests, uh, when the right times are, you know, there's so much nuance between, um, uh, there's so much nuance involved in asking for things. Sometimes timing is everything. Sometimes the mood of the recipient of the request is everything. Sometimes there's a lot of luck involved. So <laughs> I, I, I do think it's all the pre-work that leads up to that, which is, um, that's where the real work is. And that will just give you that platform where you can ask for things. Uh, and also how to ask for them. Yeah, the real work is the pre-work. Well, wow. Brian Pang, it has been fabulous having you on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much, Jason. It's been an honor and a pleasure, and I can't wait to, to hear the rest of your guests this month. And we'll be back in just a few moments with my final thoughts. Are you tired of not being recognized for your work? Are you ready to rise above the rest and accelerate to the next level? The Lead With Your Brand Career Breakthrough Mentoring Program will help you take control of your career, develop your own unique brand, and catapult you to a whole new level of success. You are a top performer, and the Lead With Your Brand Career Breakthrough Mentoring Program is what you need to get you there. Visit leadwithyourbrand.com to learn how. Wow, what an amazing conversation with Brian Pang from Electronic Arts. He had so many great nuggets out there, but I was really intrigued by our conversation about this notion of potentially being able to quit some relationships when you realize that people are sucking energy from you versus giving you energy. You know, as I talked with Brian, it really made me think about that same question for yourself. Are you someone that is giving people energy through your brand? Or are you someone that people feel sucks energy? Because remember, your brand isn't really all about you. Your brand is about how you provide service to others. And if you are walking around sucking energy from other folks, guess what? That brand is probably not working for folks. Now, we always talk about having that target career audience. But remember, even though we may put energy into specific avatars or personas, 
We're always basically saying that we want to be open and attract everybody, right? You want to bring people in, but you can't do that if you're sucking energy from folks. Well, that's our show for today. If you loved what you heard, make sure you are following us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts, and we'll deliver a brand new show every single week. Make sure that you continue our celebration of Asian American, Native Hawaiian, and Pacific Islander Heritage Month by visiting us at leadwithyourbrand.com slash AAPI for our full AAPI Voices collection. Check me out on social media. I love to connect with you on LinkedIn. I'm at Jason Patria on all platforms, and I'm always happy to take questions and incorporate them into the show. But most importantly, make sure in your career, you're not a boring old commodity like coffee. Make sure you're that super premium brand like Starbucks. You've been listening to Lead With Your Brand, the podcast that explores and uncovers exceptional career success stories and inspiring personal brand journeys with your host, personal branding expert, diversity advocate, and keynote speaker, Jason Patria. Remember to subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Visit us at leadwithyourbrand.com.